0: Hey, welcome to the Walk On Podcast. I wanted to bring you something a little different in this episode. This is audio from a sermon I gave at the beginning of the Advent season. I hope it challenges you to take your next step in your faith journey with Christ. Uh, we started decorating at my house this weekend, trying to get into the Christmas spirit. And uh, for us, one of the decorations that we put up every year, we have a collection of these um, little nativity sets. I think we've got a picture here of some of them, just a few of them. But we have this scraggly two-foot tree, that, this little fake tree. We put these little miniature nativity sets on, and these are sets that we've collected as we've traveled gifts that friends or family have given us, and each has kind of a significance to it, you know. And uh, this, this triangle one right here was the, the one that started the collection. I made this when I was in preschool, actually. I don't know how it survived all of those years, uh, I think the Elmer, Elmer's glue was a little more stronger back then, but, um, somehow this styrofoam nativity, nativity sets held up and all of our nativity sets are, they're, they're different, right? They all look a little different that some of them have wise men, some of them have shepherds, some of them have animals. This one down here, you can't really see it, but it's actually marshmallows and they're sitting on a graham cracker, like a s'more. Nativity set, um, kind of, I don't know if it's sacrilegious or not, but we thought it was cute. Uh, but, but they all look a little different, have different things, but, uh, every Nativity set we have has one thing in common. Every Nativity set has baby Jesus in a manger, right? Right. And rightly so. That's the, that's the focal point of Christmas. It's what we celebrate. And as Christians, there is a beauty and a power to the incarnation. Right? We believe that the word became flesh, that God put on flesh, made his dwelling among us, uh, and Jesus was not just some random birth, but there was significance to it. But yet at the same time, we recognize that that baby in a manger is just one scene and an epic story of how God has been moving throughout history to redeem and reconcile humanity and bring them back into right relationship with himself. And so this whole series, what we're attempting to do is to, to look beyond the baby in the manger, not to dismiss it, but to understand how it fits into this bigger picture. And when you understand the broader story of how God has been working throughout history, then the baby in the manger takes on so much more significance and power when you understand how it fits into this, this broader epic. So today we're talking about that Jesus is... Uh, more than just this baby in the manger, he is actually Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Messiah. We're going to be talking about what is this concept of of a Messiah. Uh, So uh, a couple of things. One, uh, Messiah, uh, the meaning of Messiah, it means the same thing as Christ. Messiah is a Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek uh, word of the, the same meaning. And so when you say Jesus Christ, it's actually a title, not a name. So when I first became a Christian, I thought when you talk Jesus Christ, I was like, oh, that's his last name. Uh, but it's not. You're saying Jesus. And when you're saying Jesus Christ, you're actually declaring who he is. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Christ. So Messiah has the same meaning as Christ. And this idea of a Messiah has deep roots in uh, ancient Judaism. And so the Jewish people uh, believed that was, God was going to send this promised king who would come and bring deliverance and rest, restore Israel to, to greatness. And uh, this idea of a Messiah took hold uh, er, early on when, when the nation of Israel was in exile in in Babylon and and other times when foreign rulers were were ruling over the nation because they had this sense that God had given them this responsibility to be his representatives to the world, that through him God was going to redeem the world. And in any time that they were not uh in in power, they're kind of under the control of this foreign power, they looked around and said, Okay, wait a minute. This is not, this is not how God wanted it to be. This is not what God promised. So there must be something else. And they begin looking at, um, glimpses throughout scripture, the Old Testament law and the prophets and things that prophesied, you get little glimpses and little prophecies that one day God would send a king to come and deliver the nation of Israel to bring them back into greatness and influence to be the kind of people that God intended them to be. And so this idea of Messiah set into the mindset, and it was so true, especially in the first century. Uh, during Jesus' time when Israel was under Roman rule. It was another time that there was a lot of talk and a lot of looking for this Messiah, this coming king who was going to come and uh that God promised to come and redeem Israel. But today I want to spend our time focusing in terms of the Messiah and in terms of how the Messiah smells. Now, that's kind of a weird thing, right? <laughs> like, what are you talking about, Brett? Uh but you have to understand uh right it, the bible like those were real people and real experiences and so when god interacted with them they experienced god and the things around them with all of their senses. So so they they saw things and heard things and felt things and i also smelled things. And for us uh our sense of smell is actually the strongest sense that's linked to our memories. And that's why you can smell something and you can just immediately have this association or this memory pops in your head, right? And it's so true around the holidays with Christmas. Think about all of the smells that you associate with Christmas. Maybe for you, it's like a fresh cut pine tree or uh, it's a peppermint candy cane or it's fresh baked cookies. But odds are you have some sort of tradition, some sort of experience that you smell that thing and you're just, boom, you're instantly thinking of Christmas or right? you're getting in the Christmas spirit. That sense of smell has those strong associations. That's why stores like, like Bath and Body Works, like totally changed their inventory as we head into the holiday season. And they get all these, you know, lotions and body washes with all these smells because they, they want you to begin to associate those smells with the holiday spirit. And you'll spend money to buy those. So you can smell those things and feel happy all the time, right? They, that sense of smell, those strong associations. Well, the same is true in ancient, uh, for ancient Judaism, for ancient Jews. Those people had those associations with smells. And so in terms of Messiah, Messiah uh, means the same thing as Christ. And Messiah and Christ literally mean anointed. That's the literal meaning of those two words means anointed. So you want to know what does Messiah mean? What does Christ mean? It means anointed. And what it is referring to is the process of anointing a king. Ancient Israel would anoint their kings by pouring oil, these expensive and precious oils they would pour over their head. And those oils had a fragrance to it. So there's this association between kings and this fragrance of this anointing oil. And so when we talk about Messiah, we talk about this idea of a king that is anointed has this fragrance to it. And so um, this uh, this smell, this fragrance that would accompany the the king that was anointed would let everyone know around them that they were royalty. I want to read a little quote from a book by a lady named Lois uh, Voberg, and she has a book called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, and she talks some of the, the Jewish customs and traditions that would have been true in Jesus' day, and listen to what she says about this idea of anointing and anointing a king. She says, The marvelous scent it left behind acted like an invisible crown, conferring an aura of holiness on its recipients. Everything and everyone with that unique fragrance was recognized as belonging to God in a special way. In the ancient Middle East, the majesty of a king was expressed not only by what he wore, but by his royal aroma as well. So, so it's this strong association to um, the senses, to the sense of smell. And there's this connection between an anointed king and, a smell. and we see this throughout Scripture. We get glimpses of this in Scripture. Let's jump through a couple of these. One is in um, the Song of Songs. It says, what is this coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke perfumed with myrrh and frankincense? Those two things ring a bell in the Christmas story. With all the fragrant powders of a merchant, behold, it's the carriage of Solomon. So King Solomon was recognized not just only by the this carriage and this processional following him, but by the the scent, the aroma that he had. Uh, Here's another one from Psalm, Psalm 45. This is a psalm talking about the uh, wedding of a king, but it's also understood to be a messianic prophecy. One of those glimpses of the coming Messiah was going to be true about him. Listen to what it says here: "You love justice and hate evil; therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. Myrrh, aloes, and cassia perfume your robes." Right. So, so even in scripture, there's this association of smell and kingship. Let's go on uh, to another one. This is the um, the anointing of King Solomon when he becomes becomes King David, his father, declares him as king. And uh, you have to remember, so that Solomon was kind of this, uh, also an archetype of the coming Messiah. So the, the video that played right before the sermon where the little girl was reading that scripture, that scripture is another one of those messianic prophecies, a promise that someone from David's lineage, David's throne would reign forever. And so the Jews understood this. And so they looked at that uh, David's uh, lineage and his, his children as kind of archetypes of this coming Messiah. So this anointing of Solomon would have been seen as maybe an archetype for the coming Messiah. So as I read through this, listen, think of all, not just a sense of smell, but all of the senses that you would have experienced as Solomon is anointed king. Just as so Zadok the priest took Solomon down to Gihon Spring with Solomon riding on King's own mule. There Zadok took the flask of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon with the oil, it would have had that fragrance, that smell. Uh, then they sounded the ram's horn and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. Right, so you have him riding on a mule. You have the anointing and the fragrance. You have people shouting and giving him praise as king. Now let's shift the focus to Jesus. And there's all kinds of glimpses of Jesus that, that point to him being Messiah. I want to zero in on an episode that happens in the Gospel of John chapter 12 with what we just read in mind. John 12, this is, um, Jesus is in the house of Lazarus. And he says, then Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. Now we know, uh, we also know that nard was a, a, a expensive oil that was used for anointing in the ancient world. There's references to it being used for anointing uh, kings in Roman and Persian literature. So he took the essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. And then right after this episode, the next episode that John talks about is this. He says, the next day, Jesus probably still smelling with the fragrance that Mary anointed him with. The next day, a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, and and John specifically points out another prophecy in and from Zechariah. Uh, it says, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming riding on a donkey's colt. So John connects the dots immediately to this prophecy in Zechariah, but then also the surrounding events. Does it sound familiar? Jesus riding on a donkey, an anointing, a fragrance, people shouting praise to the king. What is John trying to do as he writes this gospel? What is he trying to get across here? Now, I want to pause and just point something out that sometimes people point and look at the uh, gospels and, and they read through and they see inconsistencies, seeming inconsistencies in the gospel accounts, and they they just kind of dismiss them and say, well, like, they can't be true. They can't be right. And the truth is, when you look, there's, there's four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all uh, write things a little bit differently, explain things a little differently, especially John from the other three gospels. And and you read, and so in particular, this this episode of anointing uh, is a little bit different in the other Gospels. There's some different circumstances around it, happens at a different time in Jesus' ministry. And so you can look at those and say, wait a minute, these guys, if these guys were eyewitnesses, then their accounts should line up, right? Uh, and so they have it in a different place, and this detail is different here, and they kind of contradict each other. So this can't be true, and you just kind of dismiss the whole thing. But you have to realize that the writers of the Bible were not modern historians. They're, they're not trying to hold themselves to these standards. They're trying to communicate a broader truth. And so John, who lived with Jesus and was an eyewitness through his ministry and wrote all of those things down, he wrote them down not to give like a, a time, a moment by moment factual, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened. He wrote them to to explain a broader truth. And so he took these things that he saw firsthand, and then he edited them and, and arranged them in such a way to connect the dots to something larger. And I think what he's doing here is he takes the anointing and he places it right next to the triumphal entry to connect the dots so that any good Jewish reader would read that and they would hear that and it would point them right back to, oh, Solomon. Solomon. So what's John trying to do? He is saying, connecting the dots saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is this Messiah that was promised, that was prophesied, that you're looking for. And he connects those dots. And it's one of the reasons that I love scripture is all these, these layers. Like you can, you can read through the Gospel of John and, and you get that Jesus is the Messiah. But then there's all these other added layers of like kind of connecting the dots and little references back and forth to all these things that you can, you can miss, but it adds this depth to the truth that John's trying to communicate, right? It's like any good TV show does this. Any Star Wars fans been watching The Mandalorian? Yeah, all right, yeah, Baby Yoda, right? You can watch The Mandalorian not knowing anything about Star Wars and it's still a good show, right? Baby Yoda is cute and, uh, you know, you, you go through, you can enjoy it. But what makes The Mandalorian so enjoyable is there's all of these little references to the other Star Wars movies, all these little Easter eggs that hint back to these other things. And so you watch it and you're like, oh, they're referencing that. Oh, they're pointing to that. Oh, they were talking about this. That's what John's doing in his gospel the beauty of Scripture. That's why I love Scripture. It just comes alive, and there's this depth, and all these layers, and connecting the dots, and all these things, and John is doing that to speak loudly and clearly that Jesus is the Messiah. He's this Messiah. He is the anointed king, and his fragrance spreads around, and we can recognize him for who he is by this aroma, by this fragrance. Jesus is the Messiah. So the question is, if... John was so clear in that if Jesus was doing these kind of things that pointed to him being the Messiah, then why did so many people miss it? Right, Not not every Jew in Jesus' day believed that he was the Messiah. In fact, that some of the Jews were actively against him and and led to, to his death. And I think part of it is because Jesus was not the kind of Messiah that the Jews were looking for. They had in their mind what this Messiah was going to be. And they, they had it in, in terms of a, of a great political leader that was going to lead this political rebellion, that was going to bring about deliverance from, from the Roman authorities. And when they looked at Jesus' life, there were these seeming inconsistencies. And there's all these interesting dichotomies in the life of Jesus that sometimes we kind of just take for granted on, on the other side of this. But for the Jews of the day, they would have been, wait a minute, that can't be true. That doesn't line up, right? I mean, Jesus, we already hinted that Jesus was the newborn king that was given frankincense and myrrh, these things that were associated with kings by the wise men. But yet at the very same time that he was declared the newborn king, he's this helpless infant with no place to lay his head but a feed trough in a barn. Hardly the place you'd expect royalty to be born, right? We talked about how Jesus was anointed as king and he had this fragrance of a king. But yet it wasn't anyone in authority, any priest or any political leader that did the anointing. It was this unknown, unimportant woman. How can, that, how can the Messiah be anointed that way? It doesn't add up. Right, we talked about like you read in scripture and Jesus is openly declared that he is the king of the Jews. But it wasn't any of the Jewish leaders that declared that. In fact, it was the Roman authorities that declared him king of the Jews to mock him as they tormented him and beat him and executed him on the cross. And as you read through the Gospel of John, the next time you see anything about anointing and about these, these fragrances, it's when Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus' dead body and anoints it and places it in a tomb. What kind of Messiah dies? And all the hope of Jesus being this great political leader to overthrow Roman rule and bring deliverance to the the Jewish people died the moment that Jesus was placed in the tomb. And they dismissed him. There's no way he's a Messiah. Then we know, three days later, some ladies come with more anointing oils to finish the work on Jesus' body and they arrive at the tomb, it's empty. Jesus rose from the dead, definitively declaring that, yes, he is God's chosen Messiah. And Jesus' inauguration as king wasn't just accompanied by these precious oils anointing him. It was also accompanied by the stench of death his death on the cross paid the price for you and for me, it was a ransom for us, paying the thing that separated us from God. And now we can truly be united for, uh, with, with, with God. And the, the problem was the Jewish people, their, their view of Jesus was too small. They were thinking just in terms of Israel, just in terms of, of, of a political overthrow. And no, listen, the Messiah wasn't just for the deliverance of Israel, but God sent Jesus as the true Messiah to deliver every human heart that has ever lived. It's bigger than you think. And this baby in a manger becomes a messiah that delivers the entire globe delivers you and me from the things that separate us from God. It's bigger than you could possibly imagine. And that baby Jesus in a manger is just one scene in this epic story of God working throughout the history of the world. And you know what? He's not done. We're still a part of that story. And so this whole series, we're talking about beyond the manger. We're beyond the manger right now. We're a part of, of this kingdom that this true king, the anointed king, Jesus, is bringing to bear on the world. And we have a, a role to play in that. So with everything we talked about in mind, with the anointing and fragrance and the triumphal entry and Jesus's death, let's read what the apostle Paul has to write to the followers of Christ trying to live this out some 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. It says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You sense in any themes that point back to anything else we've talked about today? He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance of death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. And I love what he says here, that we are the aroma of Christ. Jesus Christ is the anointed king. He is the Messiah. But today, we are his body. And so in the same way that that fragrance of anointing, anytime that anybody was around that, they smelled that, they associated it with the king, with the Messiah, we are now We, the church, we are now that fragrance, that aroma, and the way that we live our life and the things that we say and the things that we do are the aroma that let people know they are in the presence of the king. You tracking with me? We have a role to play beyond the manger. We are the aroma of Christ. We are to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere we go. We spread the fragrance, the knowledge of him through what we do and how we live our lives. But, but, (laughs) to spread the aroma of Christ, we first must be with him. We first must be with him, right? It's this idea, like, you you go to a restaurant, and then later you smell, like, the smell of the restaurant in your clothes, you know, you're like, oh, Olive Garden, right? You're like... Oh, Subway. Wait, wait. Oh, that's just B.O. <laughs> right? You all think that, right? You walk in the Subway, right? You all think that when you smell it, right? Uh, no, right. Really. It's this idea like you walk in the restaurant and wherever you go, or if you're around somebody that has a strong perfume or strong, um, strong cologne on, like you leave their presence and you still smell that aroma on you. That's, just, you carry the, the smell, the, the aroma of wherever you've been. And we cannot spread the love of Christ. We cannot be the aroma of Christ to the world if we're not first spending time with him in his presence. And I have to admit that too often I've messed this up. Too often I've fallen short on this and I've let my my own selfish desires, I've let my own agenda, I've let my own bias kind of drive and dictate how I live my life. And when I interact with people, even though if I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor, right? But I interact with them in terms that benefit me and my selfishness. What do they smell? They don't smell the aroma of Christ. They smell my own stink. And church, too often, we've pushed people away from Christ by the way that we've lived in our own selfish desires because we've failed to be with Christ. we failed to let him transform us from the inside out. Listen, people are going to miss Jesus. They missed him in his day. They're going to miss him in this day, right? That's why Paul talks about to some, the fragrance is a the smell of death and to others is a fragrance of the smell of life. The Bible talks about how people are blinded by their own sin. They're going to miss Jesus. Listen, they don't need any help from us pushing them away. In church, we got to be better than that. We have to be people that spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere we go and not our own stink, right? Because that's just going to push people away. There's there's enough challenges to, to looking and understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the true King. The church doesn't need to be a hindrance. We should be pointing them by the way that we live our life, by the way that we're letting Christ transform us, the changes from the inside out. And then through our love, through our generosity, through the hospitality that we show, through the way we live our life and the things that we talk about we point them to Christ. We're the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere we go, right? So, so what are the habits, the routines, the things that you can do in your life to be able to carve out some space, to open your heart, open your eyes to God's presence with you, right? Because God is with you. It's just so often we get focused on our own stuff and we got to pause, we got to stop, we got to carve out some intentional space to say, okay, God, I'm here, speak to me. Work in my heart. Transform me first. Let me be with you and then use me as I go out. Let's pray. Jesus, we we just want to pause. We want to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory that you deserve, that you are the Messiah. Jesus, the Christ, you are the anointed king. And by declaring that, we're declaring that we're not kings and queens. We're not in charge of our own destinies, but we submit to you because you are the good king. You're the king that rules with love and mercy and grace. And then Jesus, help us seek you out to intentionally spend time with you. And then help us spread the fragrance of the knowledge of you everywhere we go. That the way that we live our lives, the things that we say, will point people to your goodness, to your love, to your mercy, to your grace. May it be for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.